What's up? What's up? Sorry about that. I was uh, wrapping up on a work call. Time got a little away from me. I like your top. Thank you. I'm I'm looking for your page so I can share the link on your. All right. And um, let me throw some tunes on. What should we do? Let's keep it. Let's keep a little laid back today. I'm gonna get all hyped and everything. Let's see what we got on deck. Right, I got a little Migos, whatever. It's cool. All right, let me do one more thing. Okay. Welcome, Never Lie Podcast. Um, TJ, fitness expert, educator, Vanessa Riser is here with me, licensed clinical social worker. And we got so much to cover today. How are you doing? I'm good. Definitely better than last week. Last week was a little tricky for me. Yeah, you had a pretty trying week. I don't. I don't think you can get into it here, but no. Yeah, it's just an ongoing saga of toxic masculinity wrapped in narcissism, wrapped in I have a really small penis, so I need to terrorize every woman around me. Oh yeah. my god! And so. Uh, so obvious so many times it's it's ridiculous how are you doing otherwise we're doing that too for the week um good i actually went out for drinks on friday to a bar oh where'd you go like Um, around you yeah there's a place called the time hotel and i felt like a normal person like i had heels i was like you know drinking martinis it was kind of nice i felt like you know it was nice to just feel normal i don't leave the house ever same yeah it was really nice yeah um i my week's been weird my school's in a whole situation of figuring out if we need to be remote if we need to be in the building and like every day it's been a different drama we're finally back in the building, I guess, at full capacity tomorrow. Maybe that can change next week. I don't know. I'm just sick of everything being in flux. I'm sick of feeling like everything is walking a tightrope. And I just want people to like recognize that like normal is over. Like there's a pandemic. And um, black people are disproportionately affected by it. So let's stop acting like those things don't exist. So that's my life. You know what I think is an interesting thing that totally um, you're probably 
experiencing quite a bit of, I don't know if you think about this as much as I do, but like when they, when the pandemic in March of 2020, when things were starting, when the shit was hitting the fan, um, as a union member, I remember thinking if they close the schools, the whole world is going to shut down and it's going to take 20 years to wash this out because socioeconomically, like everybody has to quit their job. Everybody has to stay home with their kids. It has this like really sort of like, you know, like if you shut down the MTA, you just cripple the whole scene. Like there's a big, you know, we are totally um, dependent on our children going to school and yep. it's, it's literally like the platelets of our being. If we, if they don't go to school, we, we basically die as, as a system. And so watching that happen and then now watching like thinking about what september will bring and sort of like or let's say even like august 16th are we going to be able to launch our kids into college i feel like in those moments we're going to really learn a lot about what the future is going to look like well i think a lot of that is um largely dependent upon how widely available the vaccine is going to be and how quickly everyone um i also think that um depends on if um, institutions are going to start to like stop with the does racism exist? Is it affecting us? Like it's it's if they want to transition away from does it exist and transition towards we need to do something about it. I think that will uh, influence decision making also. But until institutions want to stop pontificating and being academic about racism and like finally acknowledging that it's something that needs to concretely change. I don't know how quickly we're going to be able to make such changes. So I hope the kids are able to go to school, but you know, who knows? Did you who get knows? your vaccine yet? I got the first shot um, two weeks ago, three weeks okay, ago. We got it the same week. I remember now. Yep. And I get the booster on the 11th. Um, yeah, like I said before, I just felt a little little out of it, like a little rundown for maybe like a day, day and a half. And uh, But since then, I've been fine. Um, other people I heard like got pretty sick for a couple of days and uh, got over it. I haven't heard any like real horror stories about anybody's vaccination. So that's really good news. Mm-hmm. And when a lot of... The academic of like racism. What did you mean? Can you tell me what you mean by that? Yeah. So like, so the, the, I don't want to say genius because it's giving these idiots too much credit, but it is kind of genius. The genius of racism is if you isolate any specific instance of racism, you can come up with a pretty strong argument against not even why it's, you're not even against why it's racist, but you can call into question are you sure that's racist? What are you talking about? You sound crazy because this, 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 this didn't happen. And maybe you're looking at this way, but we have 500 years of circumstantial evidence that can't be ignored anymore. So when I'm saying people are treated academically, they keep taking these one instances and poking and prodding and examining all these one instances instead of looking at the fucking huge mountain of instances that are standing right in front of you and acknowledging it. I think a a big problem we have in academia is that we want things to go to go through like the scientific process, or we want, we want you to have a hypothesis and then test it out on the community and come back and analyze the results and then give the results to the masses 
for whatever you're studying to be legitimate. When in reality, if a black person tells you their experience, if a woman tells you her experience, if an immigrant tells you their experience, that shit is real without a scientific process. So I'm un so I'm very confused why in academia we feel we need to put people's experience through a process for it to be legitimate. Not only that, I think what you're highlighting too is that um, there is this like study of it that like is already done. Like we don't need to study it anymore. Like we understand that it's there. I think let's talk about it in like how let's talk about it from the perspective of the um, disenfranchised, from the abusee. Let's talk about it from from their perspective, not like top down. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like let's not focus on it that way. And the reason why I can draw a parallel here is because I remember taking a class on narcissism and with this continuing ed class. And he talks about it very cerebrally. Like you might talk about racism, like, okay, so back in, you know, 19 or like, and just not really talking about like um, the pain and the damage and like the fallout. And I remember at the end of the class, he was asking for feedback. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, this class could have been better taught by me because as a victim of it, I don't want to hear about how the brain waves work for the narcissist. And I don't want to hear about, you know, the formula and the math and the theories. I want to hear about like, who the fuck did they fuck with? What happened to the people, the fallout? You're seeing it as a nation now. The So to your point, I think if we just sit there and focus on like the terms you know, the, the dates, like the history, not the pain, like the voice of the person who's affected. Yeah. I can give, I can give you a quick uh, background on where to start, but I want to uh, give an example that relates to what you just said. We just uh, did this webinar for school where this um, black professor was basically just fielding questions about racism and, and we walked away feeling completely unfulfilled because number one, I could have been the person answering all those questions completely unprepared because the questions were so one-on-one -on -one level. It's like, you know, what are we doing here? But like, um, and number two, there wasn't a real, um, there was no real organization. There was no real theme. There was like, it was just popcorn questions over here, over here, over here, over here, over here. To the point where it's like, these people are like, are we having this? webinar to actually, you know, open up a dialogue, make institutional changes, bring this into the classroom, or like, is this professor on a book tour right now? Or are we just doing this to say we did it to check off a box? And it's, I'm really, I'm, I'm getting very fatigued by acknowledging uh, racism, just to check off the box of we acknowledge racism. Yeah, right. I know. It's, I feel like we need to talk about um, less about what it is, but what it does. <laughs> yeah. And like, and, and how, and how all of us contribute to it. And there's a spectrum of contribution um, on the, let's say the left, on the left side of the spectrum is there are oppressive institutions that we are forced to be a part of like capitalism. We have to, we we're forced to be a part. So we're contributing. We can't leave capitalism, but just by default, we're contributing to oppression by being capitalist. The other end 
of the spectrum is people who actively oppress others, right? And so in the middle of that spectrum, you got the white liberal racists who don't actively hate black people, but don't really acknowledge racism, don't really talk about it. When someone's racist, they don't call them out, um, stuff like that. There's a people who are who are racist, but keep quiet and hide it and everything else in between. So it gets to the point of we all contribute to this. And if you're a white person and I tell you that you're racist, your, if your first reaction is to get defensive, you are being intellectually dishonest because we all contribute to it. And I'm just getting so tired of white people's feelings being more important than my humanity. I'm like, I'm really over it. Yeah. I think also you, you're making me think about some of my friends and peers and people that like don't have any balls. And you know, we've talked about this before, like even in private, just how like frustrating it can be sometimes to be on the front line running your mouth about any good goddamn thing. And I think there is like a cognitive dissonance that people have. It's like, they would rather not get involved in anything because it's just like the path of least resistance too. But to that point, it aids in the problem, right? So yeah. to not get active and it aids in the problem. And not being silence and being inactive and inactive. I'm fine. That's fine. That is the foundation that active racists build their racism upon. So like meaning that someone who's actively racist knows they can go into a room of other white people and say racist shit. And those white people aren't going to call them out on it. So that comfort of them to be able to save racist shit in a room full of people who aren't going to say anything that silence gives says to them, it's okay that you're saying this. And so they take that feeling of it's okay. And then they keep spreading it around, spreading it around. So someone finally says it's not okay. But then when they finally say it's not okay, it's, it turns into a whole thing of them pretending that they don't know that they're racist or like acting like oh, the, the, the kicker that gets me when I called you out on being racist, you accuse me of being racist for saying that you're racist. And it's like, okay, now we're just doing mental gymnastics back and forth. <laughs> that's gaslighting <laughs> yes it's 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 the it's the definition of gaslighting let me ask you a question can yeah, you you can't be born a racist right like isn't this shit something that like is this isn't it a system isn't it a system issue um so we got to look at racism as twofold we have to look at it as in interpersonally and we have to look at it as systemically interpersonally not actually Wow. Interperse. Can you be born as, <sighs> wow. Well, I mean, I'm obviously not a geneticist, but if we stay with the idea of, um, of that, um, gene expression can change over time and be passed down to, uh, future generations, I guess theoretically you could be born hating black people. Right. Because if trauma can be passed down through genetics, like what can't be passed down through genetics? Like I wouldn't know. Um, but because I'm a social worker, you know, that we study social systems. So we always sort of have that approach of like, you know, you kind of get here rather Freudian, like you're already fucked up and then we fuck you up a little more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's let's go with the assumption that you can't be born racist. Interpersonal racism is. I personally 
I don't like black people. I don't want to be around black people. Black people shouldn't date white people. Y'all should stay over there. You get whatever you get. And as long as I'm above you, that's fine. I don't give a fuck, right? That's interpersonal racism. Racism, Institutional racism is benefiting from racist institutions. So meaning that when you fill out a resume and people see your name, Vanessa Riser, they're going to assume that you're white and you're going to get a foot in the door because they assume that you're white. You didn't do, you personally ain't do shit wrong, but just you're benefiting from right. that benefit of the doubt is right. racism. And right. people don't want to, people don't want to acknowledge that racism exists outside of how you behave and outside of how you feel benefiting from racist institutions makes you a racist. Mm -hmm. And and people want to be like, people want to say just treating other, treating black people poorly. People want to be like, that is, that's all that racism is. That's not all that racism is. That's definitely part of it. And it's definitely very important. But I think the systematic piece is even more important because yeah. you can, you can contribute to, denigrating black people just by existing and not doing anything because if you don't fight against racism that's racist mm -hmm. yeah so did i answer your question can you be born racist um we're gonna leave it at maybe maybe we need a, we need a geneticist in here to uh talk about what's the not not it's not eugenics because that's what I'm thinking of. Epigenetics, epigenetics is when um gene expression gene expression changes over time, like you said, from like social influence. So your gene expression changes over time, and then you pass that changed gene on to uh your to the next generation. So I guess theoretically it's possible, but again, I'm not a geneticist, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting topic. I mean, in for, in terms of like future generations um and what that will look like however i think there have been theories that over time that we will become i don't know anything about this also but like that our um future generations will look something like um like a mixed race less of, of the white and black that over time that that's what would happen have you what do you know about this um uh it's sound on its on its face because like again let's even go to the extreme end of the spectrum of blatantly obviously racist people like racist dudes love black women's bodies they love their they 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 um fetishize black women they even marry black women and have black kids and are still fucking racist so <laughs> It's 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 entirely possible that two, three, five, ten generations down the line, we're all just this ambiguous beige shade because we've mixed so much. But again, also you'd have to know about like population control and like uh, population density and who's interacting with who. So I guess there's a lot of variables that goes into that. There have been I have heard that that would be. Let's pretend that that did happen just for a mm -hmm. moment. It would be human nature then under those conditions to find some other bullshit to get caught up on, right? So it, all of a sudden there would potentially be um, some, you know, it would be some other ism, like, you know, height ism or, mm -hmm. 
we will always come up with some stupid bullshit to kind of stay in power um, over one another out of fear, essentially. So it's interesting to think about like what we as creatures, as a species would come up with um, to, you know, keep people, you know, under. Uh, class, definitely. Yeah. Class, definitely. We'll, uh, it'll probably, it'll probably break it down even further. It, so it'll, might, it might shift from racism to colorism. So the lighter light people are the higher class and the darker light people are the lower class. I can definitely right. see that happening. Yeah. And, and who the hell knows what else? Obviously classism is like, I feel like that's pervasive, but I think it could be something, you know, um, odd. Who's to say? Yeah. We, I mean, we always find ways to, and, but also like, Going back to your question of can you be born a racist, I, I, I've taught a lot of young white boys and seeing, th seeing their reactions to either someone having something that they want or someone taking something away from them that they had, seeing their extreme reactions in those situations, like kind of makes me lean towards like colonization, col colonialism being inherited because like oftentimes I, I see these little white boys and they just go and they just pull, take something away from a black boy, a black girl, a white girl. And I have to go up to them and I have to stop them and I have to be like, that doesn't belong to you. Why are you taking it away from her? And their response is, cause I wanted it. And I just go, do you know what colonization is? Do you know what a colonizer is? And they go, no. And I say, a colonizer is somebody who takes stuff away from people that does not belong to them. Don't be a colonizer. And they just seem very confused by that just very simple explanation of why it's not okay to take things from people that don't take things from people that don't belong to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, America itself was, there were people here. Yep. <laughs> yep. They, and they taught us Columbus discovered, they say discovered, Columbus discovered America. And when he got here, there was Indians. Was like, um, nothing about that sentence makes sense. <laughs> but since we're children being talked to by adults, we don't question it. Like I never, the, the first person who made me question that was my 10th grade humanities teacher. He was like, he was like, who discovered America? Obviously, everybody goes, Columbus. And he goes, how do you discover a place when there are people already there? And we're like, oh, yeah, you can discover. You know, but again. You know what reminds me of, too, is like, how could, like, Adam and Eve, the story of Adam and Eve, but like, we're just forgetting about the dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, <laughs> I saw this, I saw this meme of, uh, it was Jesus in a brontosaurus. And Jesus was Jesus was going shoo shoo shoo. You're fucking up my story. <laughs> Jesus was a narcissist. Ah, <laughs> uh, Jesus was a narcissist. I don't say that too loud. Some people are not going to appreciate that at all. I don't really subscribe to organized religion, but it does offer people a lot of um, hope and promise, and that's important. That works for a lot of people. Yeah, I think. I think the the fellowship of religion is great. The um, the the underlying idea that being moral and being just is great. 
But like, I think it should stop there because once you start, like, once you start going into the uh, the holy books and all the stories, like, people don't people don't want to accept that like the point of the stories is the moral. The point of the story is not the story, but people take the stories from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago and try to directly correlate them to our world today. That is nothing like the world uh, where these stories came from. And like, that's my, that's my contention. Like black people in Christianity, Christianity was oppressed onto us in slavery. So I don't care how much good you think comes from it. Its roots are in slavery. So to me, that means the whole tree is poison. I think black I think black people should have our own religion, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think I I nominate you, TJ. <laughs> I know I don't want to be I, I don't want to be anybody's prophet. Don't follow me. <laughs> don't. <laughs> oh my god. Too late. You got me and Kat, so we already follow you. You're the prophet. <laughs> No, I am inherently flawed and definitely listen to me and take my ideas under consideration, but like, don't blindly follow anything I tell you. Let me say that all right. Well, that is the most unnarcissistic thing I've ever heard anyone say, because I do believe that um, religion and a lot of these um, organizations are cults and they're led by, you know, malignant sociopaths and psychopaths and narcissists. There's so much damage that comes from that. Like even like, um, what is that? Scientology and all of the bullying. And you can hear, you hear all these horror stories. Um, you know, that oftentimes those organized religion is usually, you know, founded by some corrupted creature and people will follow blindly, you know, they're just, yeah. want that, they want that connection. It's, it can be, you know, in some ways like a gang. Uh, definitely is they these 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 leaders of these fundamentalist versions of every religion they prey upon people who are looking for something to follow mm-hmm. it's it's very it's very intentional and you know obviously again the the intent of religion is great the fellowship the morality the do do well unto others all that is great but the but it's it's man that ruins religion. It's not religion in and of itself. It's man who uses people's faith against them and uses it to prey on weak people. That's that's my problem with religion, not the actual religion, but how man has perverted it over the centuries. Yeah, I remember when my son started CCD religious instruction. I was like, just take away from it, you know, like do unto others, take the good away. Leave What's the rest. CCD? Um, it was just religious instruction every Tuesday. You know, I went to religious instruction. I was raised Catholic mm-hmm. and my son, because I was, I didn't really want him to be raised Catholic, but because I was going through a divorce, I really didn't have, he had like, it was kind of one of those things where father said that was going to happen and it wasn't worth fighting. So my instruction to him was like, just, you know, take away what is good, you know, like kind of the, like, like you said, the moral stuff, the commandments you know, do unto others, like all, all of that important stuff and then leave the rest of it. Cause it can get really kind of um, insidious and dirty and the devil and all of this other garbage. So I just didn't want him to get any of that infused. Yeah. A lot of religion is in- inherently sexist to the point of like, um, Islam is the biggest re- religion on the entire planet. 
And if you're Muslim, you're allowed to have as many lives, as many wives as you want. And like, you know, that's what's what's up with that? Like, can are women allowed to have as many husbands as they want? Oh, absolutely not. So, you know, for people to not see the disconnect there, it's, you know, it's, it's troubling. It's really I troubling. Got, I got a call the other day for an intake for an inmate that was involved in an organization, a cult called Incel. And I'm it, familiar with the incels. You, you know about this? Involuntary celibates. Yeah. And it was like the guy was accused. He was in prison. He's accused of um, stalking um, and some other harassment charge. It wasn't as egregious as like rape or anything like this, but you know, he's, he has all these quotes and all of these, um, these communications with women where he's like basically telling them like he, they owe him sex. And it's like, mm-hmm. Really, really, I was like, I was like, okay, I just want to not, I just want to look, move to the woods and never, because the, the shit I learned, I'm like, I don't, I want to be stupid. I don't want to know any of this anymore. It's like, there's a lot. Yeah, it's, 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 it, it's all, it all stems from this idea that men have dominion over women's bodies and that we are owed anything by women, which, Brings me to a point that I want to, I actually wanted to discuss with you. Like, have you noticed um, guys who like, like the status that comes with being with a woman and like having sex with women, but they don't actually like women as human beings? Absolutely. What, uh, what What are your thoughts or experiences on that? I have a lot of theories about this. Um, I think that there are issues with father potentially where father is either abusive or is neglectful or doesn't show up. Um, And there's like some kind of a, a anger or resentment towards mother for not being protective. So I can see that. Oftentimes I get people who are um, victimized and they are looking to the people around, right? So picture Donald Trump's the abuser. Mitch McConnell is the mother. Mitch McConnell's not doing Mm -hmm. it. And so who are you really mad at? Because you could tell Donald Trump is a sack of shit. So you're just like, hello, are you people going to do anything about this? So there's like a major resentment towards like, the other primary caregiver who oftentimes is the mother who is potentially enabling this animal and that enabling is resented. And so that may manifest itself in like, you know, later in life with some kind of other abuse. Yeah, that makes sense. And also like, um, I don't know. I just, the, the more that I, try to when i when i look at the landscape of like relationships and dating and why men are so fucking awful and i try to take a step back from my own experience and try to look at it more um objectively it's i think that's not it's not an excuse but i think that at some point people men recognize that they have a troubled relationship with their mother and they make a choice to either heal that either with their mother or in themselves or they decide to go to the other end and take that out on other people 
So I I agree that the the source is out of their hands and you don't get to choose your mom, you don't get to choose your situation. But like once you recognize that something's a little bit off about your situation and you don't do anything about it, then the onus gets put on you. Because I don't care. Actually, I don't want to go that far. But if you were if you were mistreated by your mom, and you have the and you have the uh, psychological capacity to understand and contextualize that mistreatment, why would you go and then mistreat others? And this is for people. And this is for people who have the psychological capacity to think through that. Obviously, a lot of people don't have that capacity, or don't have the support, or never giving the agency to do that. So I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the people who recognize what has happened in their past, and they still choose to perpetuate it. I think what happens too is that the ego, as a small child being abused or neglected by a father, let's say a young boy, the ego becomes so damaged that and the shame that's involved in that um is really hard to unring that bell really really hard to the extent that you know personality disorders may potentially develop but um to your point it doesn't have to be that way and it and it sort of begs the question what are the insulators what can protect you from that is it like you know a dutch uncle or somebody comes in and sort of gives you inspiration or shows you um an alternative um, way to be like sometimes those can really help to mitigate like all of this pain and trauma that can come from you know any abusive my mother was you know my kind of toxic person uh, my father was not and similarly um it was her ignorance of people who were um, doing things to me that was painful. So she's my Mitch McConnell. So uh, any sexual molester, anything that came my way, she did nothing about it. So I ended up just resenting her. Um, so, you know, that's a lot, there's a lot of shame and pain that comes with that. Yeah, really definitely. Yeah. I you know, if you're fortunate enough to have like therapist or, 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 or aunts, uncles, step parents, neighbors, somebody kind of, I know a lot of my life people came in and like played the role mm -hmm. that, that really helped me. It really, like I was able to get carried by my stepmother to like my neighbor and then my best friend. And then I would just kind of latch on to them. Like, you know, show me what the normal shit I'm supposed to be doing is. And, and, you know, that was enough for me. And for me, it's just like women are so easy to like and be attracted to. Like, I don't, I, I know like when you're younger, it's hard to accept being rejected by a woman, but like after a while you just start to accept that like rejection is just a part of the game. So to, to hang on to the rejection and to make that your entire experience is just, it's just really confusing to me because no matter how many times in my life I've been rejected by women, like, and, and how, um, um, how strained my relationships may have been with, um, with the women in my family early in my life that hasn't stopped me from being interested in being with women. Cause it's like, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's easy to be attracted to women. It's easy to want to be around women. It's easy to want your kindness and your affection. So it's just confusing to me for other people why 
with similar backgrounds to me, why it's still so hard for them to be vulnerable and open up to women. Did you experience um, abuse or neglect as a child? Um, we, um, abuse in the context of all of us 80 baby, 80s babies were abused by our parents because our parents were in survival mode. Their parents whooped their asses. Our parents were in survival mode. They're, they whipped our asses. But now that we have a little level of privilege, we um, understand that like we don't have to continue the circle of abuse. So in that context, uh, absolutely, yes. In a more uh, subtle context, like my mom is not the most uh, affectionate or emotionally open person. And so as a child, I... And and yeah, actually, not all my life, I've always sought out very affectionate, very warm, very kind women to be with. And but that goes back to my point of like, even with my tough upbringing, like it's hard to not be attracted to women, or even if even on a friendship level, even on just a being around, like women's energy is so much more comfortable and nurturing to be around than men's energy. I just have a hard time seeing what roadblock would be so big to prevent you from wanting that from a woman. You really make a great point that I never thought about this. Like it's possible that the damaged ego, right? So the abusive father, he hits the child, he hits the boy, he hits the boy, he hits the boy. That ego that's damaged then tries to either get love from mother and gets rejected or get love from someone else, a woman and gets rejected because you bring up something I never thought about because I'm a woman and that is, and I don't mean to sound, you know, like I'm special or anything, but to be rejected as a woman, generally speaking, is not one of those sort of like stepping stones. Like we don't really kind of go through that process the way a man does. So I wonder if the damaged ego, the emotional bandwidth is is such that it cannot tolerate rejection. I think um again you, ego that's a great that's a great way of putting it. I think even if you take out the whole attraction part of it and just look at the ego part of it, I think we live in such a ego maniacal society that people haven't even been put into position to be self-reflective about if their decisions are ego driven or if they're fact driven or if they're emotional driven, like people are, you get rewarded for being the billionaires are the biggest egomaniacs on the planet. So you literally get rewarded for being an egomaniac. So if you get rewarded for being that, you don't really have the space to be introspective of even is this a good thing or a bad thing. So a lot of people ego just is. And even when their egos are destroying everything around them, they are in a competition pool of other people whose egos are either destroying everything around them or giving them personal self-interest and self-gain. So I think that people just have an extremely hard time separating hurt feelings from hurt ego. And since you're rewarded for having an ego and no one is going to punish you for having revenge against someone who's bruised your ego, that that drives people's like entire situation. 
Right. So how can you have insight around something that our culture says you're supposed to have? Um, for me personally, I just, I didn't like the person I was being when my life was very much ego driven. Like early on in life, I understood I understood very early that women are going to reject you, number one. And number two, like you can't put yourself out there so easily and so quickly because you're going to get walked all over. Growing up, I understand the nuance. The nuance of that now is that if you put yourself out there so easily and you make yourself so accessible, even if you are strong enough to deal with the rejection that comes from that, the message that you send to the world is that my affection, my attention, my presence is not that valuable because I give everybody access to it. But as a youngin, you don't understand that nuance. So my thing was that like, you know what? I'm just going to do and say whatever I feel. And if this pisses them off, oh, well, so what? Um, and if it doesn't piss them off and it makes them attractive to me, that's even better. Um, so I went off of that. And even though I, you know, in sports, that's a great thing because like being mentally strong and being able to beat people down psychologically is a great thing for sports. And when it comes to dating women to be able to bounce back from being rejected so much and to even be able to like call girls out and like throw their shit back at them, you know, that that works as a teenager and as an adolescent. But as I got older, I just didn't like the person I was when I was doing those things. That brings up the whole dating thing, which is like a whole other. It's so hard to date right now with COVID. I don't think that it even really exists. I don't know how people are doing it. It's a very peculiar time to try to meet people. I agreed. Very peculiar. Um, I don't know. I think after the vaccine, everyone gets a vaccine and we kind of go back out into the world. You're going to see like... um like almost like a sex renaissance. Hopefully. Um, are you doing any dating? Um, here and there. I think mm -hmm. I've, I've gone on two dates in the last year. <laughs> With two different people? Obviously it can't be. Yeah. But like, that's a weird statement for me to say. I've never like gone this long without, which is good. I don't have, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just that historically I would always find myself in, you know, in situations where I would meet someone and I don't have that experience now. And um, it's been good to like do a lot of work on myself and like sit in my own head. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute, thank God I have friends. So it's like, it's not, you know, overwhelming, but um, it is a weird time to like be solo. You know, like I don't live with anyone. Nobody lives in my house. And so it's a, it's a really interesting time to just kind of, I mean, I'm talking to my damn self all the time. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'll just be like, good morning. I mean, I, I crack myself up. Like, I'm just like that girl. Like, I'll just be, I'm just silly. But it is a weird time to date. It, it, it's almost like you also can, the potential exists for me to just get good and goddamn comfortable myself and like not want to even be bothered. <laughs> you know? 
I'm not sure. What's um what's your what's uh what's your approach to dating? I'm on the dating apps. Um I did come up with a list of things, um, attributes I would like to find in a partner. Would you like to hear them? I would love to hear them. Smart, funny, honest, ambitious. Um, I put chemistry because I do think that that is important. Um, and I'm going to leave that for now. I guess as I get older, I may unhand that. Um, I want somebody who has kids just because I do. And I feel like that's something that um, is important to me to sort of have, have having gone through that pain. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I put down hair. I, I think it's okay. <laughs> I also, back in the day when I was on these dating apps and I was younger, I used to put tall, which is really stupid. And I recognize that. However, I am kind of, you know, I'm like a big personality. I have a big mouth. I'm like a taller woman and I don't want like, you know, somebody who is like meek. So I will like ask someone like, do you think you could carry me six blocks? <laughs> like fireman carry me. And, you know, so you, you have to have a stature. Like I, I don't want to feel like I'm going to have to kick someone's ass for you. <laughs> um, how tall are you? I'm five seven, but you know, like in heels, I'm like six feet tall. So, um, do you have a um, a height restriction? Like, no. what's too short? Okay, so you would you maybe, would maybe like five ten. As in, the starting like, point or the ending point? Yeah, five nine, five ten would be like like short for me, just because I will I will stand over you in heels, which is fine. It's fine. Would you date a guy that's shorter than you, barefoot? No, I don't think I could do it. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause um, I used to be very critical of women about guys' height. It's kind of like um, guys body shaming women for their weight, but it's it's just an uh, an evolutionary thing. Of height gives you a sense of security and it gives you a sense of protection. And then also depending on like you like you were saying, you you have a loud mouth, you have a big personality, like that a woman like that it's not a job for a short guy she's not <laughs> but you know what it is i'm also like tall and i'm i'm not saying that i'm big bone but like i'm a strong powerful woman like i don't i don't want to overpower somebody i need to feel like you said protected there are plenty of women who are shorter than i am who are like you know have a softer disposition that would be a better fit for someone like that i just i think there's plenty of people like that just it's not me uh, earlier, you said uh, chemistry. Tell me what what's chemistry to you? Um, there has to be like a physical attraction, and that is the kind of thing that cannot be forced. I don't know how I would probably describe that, other than you know it just happens. But I do remember like. When I was married, I remember not being particularly, there wasn't a lot of chemistry there. Um, so, I've had love affairs where there was chemistry and I've had, you know, relationships that where there wasn't. Um, and so I'm willing to risk because some of the non-chemistry having partners that I've had were also assholes. So I'm willing to risk and like find, you know, a good connection and hope they're not assholes. 
So after after the initial physical attraction, what's what's chemistry after that step? Um, I guess you know, good sex. Before so so between the initial physical reaction and before good sex, what's chemistry? Um, I don't know. There's something about like eye contact or kissing or um, communication you know, bonding, growing, intimate chats, things like that, flirty behaviors. Do you see what I'm getting at by this line of questioning? No. <laughs> Chemist- chemistry chemistry is male driven or 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 in um or in a gay relationship, the masculine partner or the dominant partner, chemistry is driven by that person. It's not a it's not a magical thing that's just in the air that we both just somehow seamlessly fall into no it's it's intentional act by the masculine male dominant whatever word you want to put to that if you want even if you want to say yin and yang whatever word you want to put to it's driven by that person that's what i believe do you do you consider it to be toxic oh no 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 absolutely not definitely there's so what i mean what i mean by it's driven it's like I, if I, well, if I'm a man, I am a man. (laughs) (laughs) If, if I was, or I can just use our, I can just use my relationship as an example. Um, You chemistry is partly. So for me, chemistry is when you are physically attracted to a woman, but you don't know her. You have to treat her in that way, meaning that I am physically attracted to you, but I don't know you. So I don't know if I like you. So I'm not going to treat you like I like you because I don't know if I like you. I know that I'm attracted to you. And in the process of being attracted to you, I'm going to get to know you. And in that process of getting to know you, I have to, I have to absolutely Absolutely. I have to say things that are genuine to me that could potentially turn you off. And that's that's what the chemistry is. It's the it's the genuineness. And I'm saying this because it's genuine to me, not because I'm saying it to try to get you to be attracted to me. And if you and if the dominant person in the relationship is just kind of floating along and not being intentional about I'm attracted to you, but I don't know if I like you. So I'm going to be genuine in that space. If they go straight to pretending they're in love with you or waiting for you to make the first move, that's that kills all the chemistry, kills it. Hmm. I like your, I like your pontificating face. Well, because I've had it happen both ways. I've had chemistry with the, with, (laughs) with, the fast and furious love bombing. I've never met anybody like you, like right out of the gate. And then I've had chemistry with, you know, a softer version of that, I suppose. I wonder sometimes if it also could be how I experience that person. Is it something that I have, I'm bringing to the table? I have so many questions that in six minutes, we definitely gonna have to bring this one up again. Sure. What's uh, what, what question you have right, right now? Um, 
So tell me more. I'm actually kind of confused. I don't really understand it. I need more. Um, like what specifically? Oh man, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Teacher, I don't get it. What do what don't you get? Any of it. I need a tutor. <laughs> okay, where would where, like uh, I don't even know how to ask the question. Where where what? Okay, what's confusing about what I said? There we go. Um, all of it. I have no, I, I don't understand. Like, I literally have no perspective on this. I'm totally confused. <sighs> I don't even know where to start. Um, like, well, talk to me like I'm an idiot. It's okay. All right, so let's, all right, let's break it down to basic attraction. And, and, and this is what I believe. I, I don't... I want to say it's absolutely true, but I don't know everybody in the history of the gym, whatever. But in every relationship, there is a dominant personality and a submissive personality, meaning that even in the world, how the world treats you and how you treat the world, you might actually be a, a, a take that's let's take, let's take me and Marianne in the world. We are both two very dominant, aggressive human beings in the world in our relationship i i i initiated as the aggressive one and then she responded with okay he's aggressive like i'm aggressive so i don't have to be aggressive with him okay. does that make sense and so when i showed when i showed who i was not trying to attract her but just showing her who I was, she softens in our relationship because she realized she doesn't have to be that aggressive. Soften because I don't have to be aggressive either. But it started with me showing that I'm an aggressive personality and I'm not going to soften myself to try to attract you. You know, what I mean, and I naturally soften because in our interactions, we both saw that we don't have to be soft. Mm -hmm. If I if I started out soft, I'd have been finished <laughs> completely. I'd have been finished. Like so like our first conversation, uh, she had just done evaluations uh, for her staff. We were getting the conversation about evaluation and I had like pretty much the complete exact opposite opinion on evaluations that she did. And that's it. And, but in that moment, as a guy, you have a choice. Am I going to be genuine and express my opinion and risk disagreement and risk having a fight and risk turning her off? Or am I going to bend to agree with her just to try to get laid and consciously and not women can tell when you're bending towards them just to try to get something for you from you. And that's, um, that's a defense mechanism because guys who um, present as too malleable or too indecisive or too shaky, those guys present as dangerous because if you can't make your own decisions in your own life, how am I, one, going to be able to trust you to make decisions in your own life? But two, how can I trust that you're not being deceptive and trying to hurt me? Mm -hmm. So all that all that goes to say that who what, what whoever is the, 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 the male or the man or the aggressor or whatever, whoever that entity is, they have to lead. 
They have to lead by not only presenting themselves as who they are without trying to do it to get attracted to them, but when you're in a relationship and you start being with each other, that person has to lead with being emotionally vulnerable first because women don't have the luxury of being emotionally vulnerable first because, again, violent, rapey guys will use your vulnerability to hurt you. So if that per guy isn't vulnerable first, she's going to look at you as untrustworthy. All right. So many questions still remain, but all good. Take some notes so we could. Uh... I'm serious. <laughs> I have so many questions. I'm very excited. Um, all right. So I got to get on my six o'clock. Oh, okay. Good. Awesome. Um, plug your stuff real quick before you go. All right, Vanessa Riser, tell a therapist. Um, licensed clinical social worker practicing in the states of New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, specializing in narcissistic abuse. You can find me at teletherapist.net. And I am 10.1 on all socials, number 10.1 on Instagram. Um, my motivation, physical solutions for mental stressors on all platforms. Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And I can't wait for you guys to come back next week. Awesome. I will see y'all later. Where's the music? Where's the music? Where's the music? It's plugged in. Every day, every night, all the time. All right.